This is LaQuest, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Hi, I'm Don Andrews with Look West. With me today is producer Pablo Espinoza. Hey, Pablo. Hey, Don. During a pandemic which included a stay-at-home order, it seems logical that an eviction moratorium would be a good idea in order to keep people to stay at home. What obstacles did you find out about when you were looking into the eviction moratorium? Well, it is absolutely a no-brainer that we have to make sure that people have a roof over their heads, and that needs to be a priority for anyone, for California and for the rest of the country. And, and without a doubt, there were a lot of obstacles that I would like to call them challenges. Uh, and, and there is a way of finding a middle ground between tenants and landlords. And there were very difficult negotiations between all of the people involved, including members and advocates. And if there was a theme, it was that everybody agreed that there was a need to keep a roof over people's heads. But the challenge is how do we do it? Who did you talk to? We talked to Assembly Majority Leader Eloise Reyes, who was leading the negotiations, representing uh, the leadership, the speaker, uh, with other stakeholders in the governor's administration. We also spoke with folks uh, advocating for tenants, such as Tina Rosales with the center, the Western Center for Law and Poverty, Deborah Carlton with uh, very known in the capital community with the Capital Apartment Association, um, and uh, of course, Assemblymember David Chu, who has been at the forefront of the eviction moratorium discussions. And um, we'll start with Assemblymember Chu and Majority Leader Reyes. Well, welcome to this edition of Luke West. The topic today is eviction moratorium. And let's just dive right into it. Assemblymember Chu, you were instrumental in getting this going with your bill, Assembly Bill 3088. Um, why was it so important for you to move that forward? Well, first, let me just uh, also thank our, our majority leader and our speaker and all our colleagues. This was something that was a, a top Democratic priority to ensure that we were not going to see a tsunami of evictions during this coronavirus time period. Um, what's happened since the beginning of the pandemic is when we went into shutdown and so many folks lost their jobs, people didn't have the ability to pay their rent. And initially, uh, the court system had put in place an eviction moratorium, uh, but that was set to expire at the end of August. And uh, we worked together on my AB 3088 bill to provide five months of relief through the end of January for tenants who are experiencing COVID-19 financial distress. But what we were faced with at the end of January uh, was potentially going off an eviction cliff, which would have been catastrophic during this time period, not just for our homeless levels, but uh, for COVID-19 spread. And Majority Leader, in your role as such, you were instrumental in the negotiations with the different stakeholders and with the administration. We're talking about up to 250,000 people from actually in the lower end to up to 750,000 people that could have been going through that eviction cliff. How difficult was it to get all the sides together, even though everybody kind of agreed in the ultimate goal? I think it, the last part of what you said was the most important. Everybody agreed something had to be done. Uh, from the administration to the assembly to the Senate, everybody knew that what Assemblymember Chu had done to get us through the end of January was no small task. Uh, he was able to meet with so many of the stakeholders and was able to present a bill that we all knew needed to be done, and he was able to get it through. So he, through his efforts, through his bill, through his AB 3088, he was able to provide the relief our tenants needed. 
just as he mentioned earlier. This was so important. And to know that the sunset was arriving by the end of January, um, the, the, the speaker's team, um, the, the, the uh, Senate Pro Tem's team, and the administration uh, all got together and started working on coming up with a resolution which was finally put through after countless meetings. But I, I do want to say that it I was able to rely so much on uh, Assemblymember Chu and all the, the information he had already gathered um, and all his meetings with the stakeholders. It made all the difference in the world so that I was able to come in as the majority leader on behalf of the speaker and enter into those discussions, those negotiations with the administration and the Senate. And not to divulge any private details about the negotiations, but take us a little bit, if you don't mind, into the room, into those conversations with the stakeholders, because at the end, it is well reported that not everybody was happy. And in the end, that's usually the result of, uh, of finding a tight balance about having a, a good solution for the majority of Californians. Well, I'll certainly agree that, uh, that, that certainly I think it's fair to say no one was completely happy with the deal, but everyone knew that this deal had to happen. Um, the challenge as we were coming up against January was we had extended eviction protections through that time period. But as you could imagine, not only were tenants at the end of their financial line, but you had a lot of struggling landlords who were challenged in making mortgage payments and, and paying property taxes, and, 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 and they were barely hanging on. Um, and so this, this amazing challenge was how do we consider extending eviction protections while struggling landlords were, were not making it either. What made it easier was um, finally, um, after Donald Trump was elected out of office, uh, Congress was able to come to an agreement on a significant federal stimulus package that sent to California $2.6 billion of, of rental assistance. Now, the challenge we had, though, was um, there have been very different estimates on exactly how much rental debt was out there. And so we needed to figure out how to set up the state's first rental assistance program and make the funding last. And the compromise that was reached was to allow for, uh, in situations where a landlord agreed to forgive 20% of the rental debt, um, tenants and struggling landlords where a tenant made less than 80% of the area median income, they are eligible for rental assistance to pay for the remaining 80% of that missed rent. And that's a huge deal. That program is just getting going right now. And folks can apply for those monies right now and, uh, and take advantage of it. And we really encourage everyone who's eligible for this money to, to do it. Folks can apply for this funding at the website housingiskey.com. Um, and it does require the cooperation between a landlord and a tenant. And if it turns out a landlord does not want to forgive the 20% of debt that we referred to before, those renters can still receive partial rental assistance for 25% of the missed rent. So that was sort of the structure of the deal where we said to landlords, please forgive a portion of it. And if you do, you'll have 80% of that rent you know, paid for. But if you don't, renters will still receive 25%. Yeah, I was going to say that having this 2.6 billion made a big difference. Now we were able to address both the needs of the tenants and also pro uh, provide assistance to the landlords. Uh, because the truth is the landlords were not, the, 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 they were not required, we sh they should not have been required to foot the bill. 
um, we, we can't house people and have somebody else other than the government pay for that. And trying to find that balance was extremely important. Um, but we knew one thing for sure is that we did not want to displace the tenants. That had to be number one. We did not want them displaced. And we had to find any way possible to make sure they were able to stay where they were. Uh, we didn't want to have to increase the, the number of homeless because now we have a different issue to deal with. In majority leader, as I was going to say before, um, somebody reached out to me with a personal story. And she was an immigrant single mother who, through her hard work and assistance of her family, ended up having two rental homes, small rental homes. But she was facing losing both of them because nobody was paying mortgage. And, and that's one of the extremes, right? Uh, and we have other young people or self-employed people that cannot afford to, to pay the rent. And it is those extremes that are causing the problems. We tend to identify the landlords as these rich, rich, rich people, but that's not all of them. And unfortunately, some other folks are taking advantage of a, of a government program at the expense of the people that really need it. That is so true. And we heard from many of those landlords who were struggling um, with, with when the initial bill was passed, they felt they had been left out. They felt that the, we as the government were saying, the tenants aren't going to pay you, you figure it out. But that's not what we were saying. We were saying there's got to be a moratorium. We've got to, we, this pandemic um, caused the, the, an economic downturn that was through no fault of either the tenants or the landlords. Both were faultless. We now had to figure out how we were going to help because we certainly did not want to have an increase in uh, homeless people because they have to go somewhere. So the moratorium that um, Assemblymember Chu worked on in 3088 was extremely important to at least put a halt, to give time to breathe, to figure out what we were going to do. And that's why the, the federal funding of the 2.6 billion was extremely important because now we could put together a plan that included further protection for our tenants and additional, uh, now it, we had promised to the landlords, here's something that you are going to receive. Now, it, it also, I wanted to mention why it is that the Latinos are not applying for this assistance at, at a rate that uh, others, uh, that would be expected or that others are applying. Part of it all is this distrust for government. The fact that, that many of our Latino communities feel, feel that whenever the government is involved, that the government is receiving information and is now going to share it. And this has to do with the prior administration. There's this absolute mistrust, distrust uh, of government. And I think it's really important. Um, and that's why the community-based organizations are very important in this aspect of it. Assemblymember Chu is absolutely correct. Now we have to get people to apply. And in the Latino community, we need to make sure that it's in language. We need to make sure that it's the trusted messengers that are telling them that they should apply. Um, I will tell you that for 30 years, as I volunteered with legal aid, I, uh, much of what we did was to protect those, uh, the, the tenants who were being evicted. And so I know that our legal aids are a good place to provide this information. And those are a couple of very important details. There has been some information that comes out about the huge difference in results for tenants for those that are represented and those that are not represented. Those that are not represented, um, the likelihood of them getting evicted was about 85%. And those that are, the likelihood of success is about 85%. 
So, so that's also a challenge because that's something that a consumer advocates and tenant advocates said was missing from the legislation, uh, or at least we're starting to discover because there's also some of the tenants that they don't owe the money to the landlord, but they owe money to the payday loan company. And they're feeling left out as well. So it, really complicated for you guys to try to address all it, this. It was, and I will tell you that the good thing is that we had wonderful advocates, stakeholders who met with us to talk about what those issues were um, on the payday lenders. Uh, the, 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 many of the tenants or a number of tenants were borrowing and they said, well, I borrowed money in order to pay my rent. So the rent is really still owed. It's just not owed to the landlord. It's owed to this payday lender who's charging me an arm and a leg. Um, we recognized that and we, we tried very hard to, to put the, the, the language in there as best we could. Um, the, the representation, that was something else that was also discussed. Those challenges are very real, right, Mr. Chu? Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, this has brought up a discussion about whether tenants should receive legal assistance. I'll tell you, in my city of San Francisco years ago, I set up the first program of government-supported um, uh, legal representation assistance to tenants facing evictions. And now in San Francisco, um, if you're a tenant facing an eviction, you have a right to an attorney, which has made all the difference uh, in helping to protect those individuals. At this very moment, that is not true throughout the state of California, but uh, there's a bill that I'm working on with one of my LA colleagues, uh, Jesse Gabriel, uh, that would allow uh, us to really establish a statewide program in this space because the fact of the matter is, if you shoplift a toothbrush from Walgreens or CVS, you will get representation by a public defender. But if you're about to be kicked out of your home wow. of 30 years because of coronavirus, because you're told you can't work or you lost your job, um, you don't have an ability to get an attorney. And as you said before, the difference between having an attorney and not having an attorney is literally the difference between evic being evicted or not. And so for folks who are interested in that, AB 1487 uh, is something that we're trying to move through the process to address that. A lot of folks oftentimes forget that behind the title there is just Eloise or David. What sort of stories have, has Eloise heard about how difficult it has been for folks that you were in contact with in your previous life, as you said, you know, working with legal aid as an attorney? The stories that I hear most about are the stories of, of our immigrant community. Um, I, people in the community know my mother, they know my family, they know me through legal aid, and so I still get the calls. And if they don't reach me, they call my mother um, and say, Doña Jessie, por favor, dígale su hija que nos ayude. Um, and many of them do feel that it's time for them to leave because they cannot pay the rent. They, they can't work. And our immigrants, especially our undocumented, weren't receiving any unemployment. So they weren't able to help out in the way and pay the rent the way they would have wanted to. So they were the ones that were hardest hit um, during that time. But the way it is written now, immigration status is not one of the factors. and It's, it's not asked. Um, so the, it's the rent paid to the landlord. David, what stories have you heard from people uh, about the struggles that they have? The, the stories we're hearing, particularly from the tenant community, are just heartbreaking of folks who um, they're sacrificing everything to try to make 
the rent, right? They're sacrificing food and healthcare um, and, uh, and school bills uh, uh, and going into consumer debt in order to make sure that they're not evicted during this time period, which is why it was so critical uh, to both build in the eviction protections in these bills, as well as get the $2.6 billion out because um, the last thing we need, we're already seeing homeless numbers go up during this time period, but we, we, we cannot see that continue to spike. The, the human suffering that represents is just not something we can, we can, that's tenable for the state. Well, that was Majority Leader Eloise Reyes and Assemblymember David Chu. I want to thank him so much, not just for giving us the time, but also for their work on behalf of uh, Californians to make sure that we uh, do whatever we can to keep a roof over their heads. And joining us now are stakeholders, uh, representatives uh, that were part of this difficult discussions and negotiations, uh, legislative advocate on behalf of the Western Center for Law and Poverty, Tina Rosales, and Deborah Carlton with the California Apartment Association. Let's hear from them now. The word balance is exactly what we talked about with Majority Leader uh, Eloise Reyes and Assemblymember David Chu. And, and that is a simple word, but a very elusive uh, goal sometimes. So from your guys' perspective, you know, what did you like about it? What did you like about it? And uh, Deborah, and, and where did they come up short? Sure. Well, of course, there were two iterations, as you know, of the, the protections that were created. There was first AB 3088. We did that um, first out the gate early on in the pandemic. We did make it very easy. Tenants simply needed to uh, declare that they uh, were affected by the pandemic. There was very little proof that was required. The second uh, extension was through Senate Bill 91. And of course, tied to that was uh, financial assistance. We needed to make sure that not only were owners uh, receiving some assistance, but tenants weren't saddled with debt. That, of course, financial assistance was looking backwards. It was those in, in 2020 who uh, were unable to pay the rent. I think up through March of this year, <clears throat> that money came from the federal government. And uh, now owners and tenants are applying for that money right now. Bottom line is financial assistance is huge and key because we don't want, of course, tenants to be saddled with debt, but we don't want property owners to lose their property, especially these small owners who could face foreclosure if we don't get money to them. And they're applying right now and it's ongoing over the next probably month or two. And Tina, same for you, I guess, like I was saying, balance is difficult to achieve and nobody was absolutely 100% happy with every detail of this. What did you guys like? What do you guys think it's good? And where did uh, we come up short? Yeah, so just to piggyback on what Deb was saying, we do appreciate that there was rental assistance given but we don't think it's enough, right? So we think that all rental debt should be forgiven for the tenants for the past. And with the federal money, the federal money actually allocates 18 months of rental assistance. And so we believe that there should be 100% forgiveness for the renters. We don't believe that renters should be saddled with a bunch of debt for no fault of their own. And so we need to discharge all the unpaid back rent so that way it's not collectible in either small claims or civil court because those court process can be very daunting for individuals. We do appreciate that the just cause eviction protections were also extended to all renters in California. But the problem is that a lot of those protections end on June 30th. And when June 30th comes, that doesn't mean the pandemic is gonna end. It doesn't mean that tenants are magically gonna have their jobs back, their incomes back. 
and there is still a road to recovery. So we need to do more. And the first thing that we can do is extend the eviction protections at least through the end of the year. So Deborah, is it realistic to have no debt at all for, for the tenants as much as I believe um, we would all like to do that. So when you look uh, at the past debt and the money that is being applied for now uh, through March of this year, once the owner takes 80%, which is uh, the 80% that the government will pay you, 20% is forgiven. So in those cases, those tenants are not going to have debt. Now, going forward, I think, is what we're uh, concerned about, not only for um, owners, but for tenants as well. So we're going to have to continue to uh, advocate for additional funding, either from the federal government, which we hear money, more money is coming, um, and or for, from the state government <clears throat> if an, a tenant doesn't qualify because, for whatever reason, they make over 80% of the area median income, um, 80% or 50%, and maybe they just lost their job, for example. So that's one uh, uh, point on the, the money. I know there's been this kind of call out into the community that some owners just aren't going to take the money that they can apply for. That would be wild if you ask me crazy because they cannot collect the other. You know, the we put in some very strict protections into SB 91. We said if you don't take the money and you try to go collect it in small claims court, yeah. the judge will reduce uh, the amount of the judgment based upon what you could have collected from the program. So, uh, and if the tenant qualified, of course. Um, so I, I don't know that that's necessarily a concern and Tina can speak to that. I mean, then going forward with the eviction protections, you know, we agreed to those. Uh, we had already have a uh, just cause eviction for most uh, of the state with two exceptions that were extended through SB 91. And that was single, fam home, single family homeowner renters now under SB 91 have to uh, list a very specific cause, so just cause there. And if your newer properties, which were previously exempt, now come under uh, the eviction protections. So if you are a brand new property, you have to give a just cause if you attempt to evict. So basically, as Tina said, everybody's covered, just cause eviction. I don't know that that has necessarily been our big concern. Um, we do wanna make sure, however, that if you have uh, families with children that are living in a property and you've got a problem tenant next door who is creating uh, problems for the entire community or their neighbors, there is a allowance for an owner to evict in those cases. Because as we talk about balance again, owners are trying to ensure that they're protecting tenants that are in place who are trying to live a peace and quiet, quiet enjoyment. And it is those sort of gray areas that create a lot of difficulties because bad players on, on either side can unfortunately start, you know, using those good tools as, as potential loopholes to for malfeasance. Just by saying, hey, Pablo, you're just, you're just uh, creating a lot of problems in the property. So we're going to evict you because of that, not because of failing to pay the rent. Is that, are you seeing that happen, uh, Tina? I represented those cases last year. I mean, they happen all the time. And I had the privilege of representing people in Los Angeles County where there is more protections than the state just in general. But I saw every day tenants being evicted for nuisance related actions. And my specialty is nuisance evictions. Primarily my, ten my clients have some sort of physical or mental disability. 
And usually those issues can be resolved with settlement negotiations. And so I was also privileged enough to represent them and those clients were able to get rental, uh, to get legal assistance. And we were able to really delve deep into the issues of retaliation, habitability and things of that nature. But what's interesting is that nationally, only 3% of tenants have legal representation, where where about 80% of landlords have representation. And I would walk in the courthouse every day and I would be the only attorney with one other for-profit. The numbers are incredibly wide. It's about 85% of folks that win a case that are tenants if they're represented. And the number is about the same, 85 that lose a case if they're not represented. Deborah and Tina, is that something that, that, that you guys share as, you know, as a way of kind of pushing back against the bad players? Because every extreme is bad. And that creates problems for the people that both of you guys are trying to help. Yeah. Well, you know, we have uh, the legislature's already committed dollars. Uh, historically, we have the Shriver Act that does commit dollars. I'm sure Tina will say it's not enough um, to help tenants with legal defense. Um, and there's already legislation now that would uh, extend uh, dollars. I, I think some of the concerns we have is that it's very easy in California to delay an eviction. And I'm not saying that just because a, a tenant um, deserves a delay. We just want to make it fair because you'll go on the internet right now and you will find uh, tenant attorneys, not Tina, tenant attorneys will say, I'll give you six months. I'll help you get six months to a year of free rent. And the, and the landlord will owe you money in the end. Look, if we had a process that was um, easier to navigate or even a mediation program where the landlord and tenant could sit down with either counsel or someone like Tina um, so they could understand some of those issues, I think that would be much better than simply checking a box, asking for a jury trial and delaying evictions for six months to a year. Owners, um, especially the small owners, cannot stay in business with that. That sounds very reasonable. I mean, and, and, uh, but it seems to me, and Mr. Chu made a very eloquent point that he said that if, if you steal a, uh, an apple, uh, you have a right for, you know, for a public defender, but not if you're going to be left out without a home. So it, it seems that what you're talking about, Deborah, like having some sort of program that has some sort of a mediation or something like that as a first step, it may be a good idea. Is that something that you guys are looking at into, Tina? Not at this point, no. Um, The bill that we're supporting is 1487, which will establish a similar right to counsel program. What we find in mediations is there is an inherent balance of um, inequitable power balance, right? So if a tenant loses the case, they lose their home. If a landlord loses, oftentimes the tenant still has to pay the back rent that wasn't paid. And they can have settlement negotiations, which I've participated in, to mediate the situation. You know, the right to counsel and having eviction defense, it's not only beneficial for tenants, but it's also beneficial for landlords because oftentimes there's a fair trial, there's settlement negotiations where both parties are represented and that acts as sort of a mediator. There is um, a cost saving. So Los Angeles and San Francisco both have... um, I hesitate to call it to right to counsel, but for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to say that. So both LA and San Francisco have the programs. And in LA, for every dollar that's invested in a right to counsel program, there's a $4.80 return. So there's an immediate cost benefit to the state. And there's also a community um, benefit because communities are not disrupted. And I don't want to 
demonize all landlords and say all landlords are terrible and do you know, horrible things. That's definitely not how I want to come out. But I do want to ensure that the court process, which is fundamental to any fair and equitable society, is fair. And both sides have representation at, and, you know, tenants don't have to pay for that representation because oftentimes they can't even afford it. And we talk a lot about just now on the bad elements of the side of the of the property owners, but there's bad elements on the other side that try to take advantage as well, unfortunately. And, you know, I was talking about this one lady from my church who, through hard work, ended up buying, with the help of her family, one small property and another property. And she's, I think she's already lost one and is about to, in the process of losing the other one because she hasn't received rent for about like 15 months. Well, what do we do for that, Tina and Deborah? Yeah, SB 91 is certainly part of that answer, um, getting money. I, I don't know, some of these owners have lost their property because the tenants don't qualify. And what we're finding with this now application process where uh, tenants and owners are applying for money, because we made it very easy to check a box and say, uh, I've been affected by COVID. Now that they're forced to apply, uh, they're basically saying, you got me, the tenant saying, you got me, but like, I didn't qualify and I don't qualify for this money. And unfortunately, in the case of probably the owner you're talking about, the tenant didn't qualify. And, and so she's still going to be out that money. And I think we still have to find a better process um, without pitting landlords and tenants against each other but making sure the money gets in the right hands. Because if money goes to the wrong people, even the wrong landlords, it's not gonna get in the right hands of the tenants who truly need it. I appreciate that we're talking about the rental application pro- process because it is heavily skewed towards landlords. I've, I've tried to apply even though I don't qualify and I, you know, either way, I've tried to apply just to see what's, what's going on. And there are things that the, la- the application asks that is completely onerous. It asks for documentation that the program doesn't initially didn't ask for. There are other things where the tenant has to say that they are in no violation of their lease. But that's not necessarily the same for the landlord. So we know legally there's habitability defenses. And if a property isn't kept up to standard, then the landlord isn't entitled to the full amount of the rent because it's not worth that fair market value. But so the tenant has to go through all of these additional processes and certify to things that the landlord doesn't necessarily have to certify for. There's also a, a division and language access. So a lot of tenants are having a hard time applying for the program because there's a language barrier or there's a digital divide where the tenants who really need it, you know, the ones that are elderly, like one of my clients, she was 90 years old and she'd lived in her property since before I was born and can't apply to the program because she doesn't have the technological ability to do so. And so we need to make sure that their program is fair and accessible to those who are intended to be the beneficiaries of the program. Tina raised some interesting issues about technology and applying and even talked about the proof up that um, some tenants um, have had to endure. And I will tell you, we did bring those issues also to the State Department and um, we pointed those out. And I don't know if you uh, went through the process early, Tina, but some of that stuff has been eliminated 
there should not have been some of those questions um, asked. And so um, hopefully those have all been eliminated on the site because we've been monitoring it. I think those were things that um, shouldn't have been there to begin with. And as for the digital uh, challenges, even you know our senior landlords <laughs> have the same issues. And so the state created a, uh, a person-to-person um, process. So you can go um, and apply at a local community center, for example. You don't have to use the internet. So they have a great outreach program that's helping people apply. So I think we're going to learn a lot also through this ver- first process. And I think a lot of those things that uh, Tina pointed out and that, that we have found uh, will be things I believe will be corrected or at least enhanced I think that there's definitely a way that we can all come together and figure out how to improve the program and make sure that the rental assistance from the federal money is getting into the, the right hands. I want to give you an opportunity for a final word, and thank you both for your time here. Thank you so much for having us. I think the conversation is valuable, and the continued conversation will be valuable going forward. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's always nice to see all y'all faces, and I just want to end with... You know, right now we we were presented with a once in a generation pandemic, but we also have a once in a generation opportunity to really improve people's lives, to close the racial and economic inequality in California. And I look forward to working with everybody to make that happen. Thank you so much, uh, Tina Rosales with the Western Center for Law and Poverty, Deborah Carlton with the California Apartment Association, uh, Assembly Majority Leader Eloise Reyes, Assembly Member David Chu. And uh, as we have heard, uh, there are so many challenges ahead to make sure that we keep a roof over people's heads. Well, the silver lining is that the, there is a lot of money. The challenge is how do we spend it? How do we find the middle ground? And the negotiations and discussions continue. Well, thank you, Pablo, and to the rest of the Pod Squad for putting this episode together. This is a topic that will surely be discussed in future episodes of Look West. I'm Don Andrews. This is Look West. The Look West podcast is produced by California Assembly Democrats. When you think of Californian politics, remember to look west.